Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Saturday, little weekend pod, November 18th. Happy to be with you guys today. Uh, apologies, I did get this episode out a couple days later than I wanted to. It was pretty busy last weekend, had the bros in town, had a wonderful time. Busy week of work, so wasn't quite able to get out an episode midweek. So we're trying to make up for today, get you guys a quick little episode. Um, I did drop the ball a little bit with my busy schedule on getting a guest, but we do hope to have another guest on next week for our next episode of Words with Wallace. So just me for today anyways, but I do have a couple of really cool topics that we're going to get into today. Uh, shouldn't be a very long episode, but we are going to be talking about the NBA in-season tournament first and foremost, going through the pros and cons of the tournament so far. Uh, so looking forward to sharing that list with you guys before we get into NBA panic meters. So we do have three teams that have uh, pretty significantly underperformed to start this season so far. So we're going to be going through uh, and give a panic meter on each of those teams and, and identify just how worried they should be this far into the season. So jam-packed episode ahead. Let's not waste any time and let's get into talking about the NBA in-season tournament. So as I sit here and record again on Saturday, November 18th, we've had four different nights of NBA in-season tournament action. So before I get into the pros and cons list, we're going to start positive, right? We are going to start with the pros list first and foremost, but I did just want to throw some data at you. Four nights of games so far, uh, and on the first night of action, which was Friday, uh, November 3rd, six out of the seven games were what I deem to be close, right? For the sake of this exercise, we're just going to say a close game is a game that was decided by 10 points or less. Pretty simple, right? So on night one of the in-season tournament, there were seven games on that slate. Six of them were close games, which is obviously outstanding. Night two of the in-season tournament, which was the following week, Friday the 10th, seven out of the nine games on the slate were, again, close games. Pretty damn good. On to Tuesday, the third night of the in-season tournament, which was this past Tuesday, November 14th. There were 10 games on the slate, and five of them were close games, so not, not the best showing there. And then finally, uh, last night, uh, November 17th, it was a Friday, there were 11 games in the slate, and eight of them were close yet again. So in total, that brings us to 37 games, and out of those 37 in-season tournament games so far, 26 of them have been close games, again, determined by 10 points or less. That is 70% of the time these games have been close. So that kind of leads us into the pros list. What is the first pro that I have of the in-season tournament so far? Well, it's that the games were close, right? Now, again, is this just because of dumb luck, right? Like there's a lot of games during the NBA season. Um, there could be a lot of parity in the league, which I believe there is to a degree, right? I think um, this is probably the most talented the NBA has been from top to bottom. So uh, maybe it's just dumb luck because of that, or it could be because there is a little bit heightened, you know, intensity from the players playing in these games. And so that actually, again, brings me to the second pro on this list. You know, this is just my opinion from watching the game. One guy's opinion I, I've seen, um, I would say basically every night of the in-season tournament, I've watched at least one or two of the games. So I think I'm a pretty good person to ask, but I will say that I, I do think that players are playing with a little bit more juice in these tournament games. Now, I must admit, maybe I've just been sold by, you know, all the different announcers on all of these in-season tournament games. It seems like every single one, they like, you know, anytime there's a hard foul, anytime there's, there's words exchanged, anytime there's a hard take to the hoop, you know, the announcers are the first ones to be like, oh, well, I bet they're thinking about that extra $500,000 in their paycheck and this and that that goes out to the winning team. So maybe I've just been sold on it after four nights, but 
I do think that there has been a little bit more juice in general watching these games as a whole. And so there were a couple examples on, what was it? That was Tuesday night, I believe, that again, only half the games were close in this particular night. But we had some some pretty notable events that I wanted to, to kind of go into a sidebar about real quick. Uh, most notably, the conflict between Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert when the Warriors played the Timberwolves. So as you guys have probably noticed, if you follow the league closely like I do, you know, they've been doing kind of like mini series. Like they, it's something that they've kind of kept it on the schedule for a while here where, you know, a team will will play, you know, two teams will play. And then within a couple nights, they'll have like a rematch. Right. And so it almost has like a, a playoff type vibe to it because they just played a couple times within the same week or what have you. And so the Warriors and the Timberwolves actually played a couple nights before. And then we get into the in-season tournament game on Tuesday. And the score of the game is is literally zero to zero, right? We are less than two minutes into this game. And, you know, basically there was a, a shot attempt. And afterward, Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels of the Timberwolves got tangled up, right? And so their, their arms kind of linked and then they're grabbing each other's jerseys. And Clay's jersey was all ripped apart and they ended up kind of like throwing each other. And so those two guys got in a conflict. And then Draymond comes flying in, if you guys haven't already seen it, of course, flying in from across the court and just grabs Rudy Gobert uh, and puts him in a chokehold. And now you might be a little confused because I, I didn't mention Rudy Gobert being involved in that scuffle. And that's because he wasn't, right? Like he was kind of making his way over to like break up uh, McDaniels and Clay Thompson who were kind of duking it out, right? And he, maybe he laid a hand on Clay. Like I don't even think he got that far. And like Draymond saw that as the opportunity. He's like, yep, I'm taking Gobert out back. Now they've had like their little tiff and, and exchanged some tweets over the years. And, you know, Two guys that are very competitive, you know, fantastic players defensively. I'm sure they don't like each other. It doesn't really seem like anybody likes uh, Gobert for that matter. But it was just hilarious that Draymond was like, oh, there's a fight. Like, I'm taking out Gobert. Puts him in a chokehold and, like, holds him there for, for seemingly, like, 30 seconds. As the rest of the Timberwolves roster just, like, watched it happen. Um, as you can tell by my voice, I was I was thoroughly entertained. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Maybe I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I know Draymond's a bit much. I'm not the biggest Draymond guy. Definitely would have enjoyed it a lot less if it was a player that I, I liked that Draymond put in a chokehold, but uh, I don't like Rudy Gobert. Not many other people do. So it was nice to see him just like, like, you know, like dead fishing it out, like totally confused as to who was even grabbing him. So um, it was pretty funny. Now, I did get sidetracked and, and wanted to describe that drama to you. But part of the reason I did that is like, hey, it had a, a real playoff atmosphere. Obviously, the rest of the game was kind of mid because after that, Draymond got tossed out. You know, the Warriors were already without Steph in that one to begin with. So Draymond ended up getting suspended for five games and rightfully so, right? Like there had to be some, you know, punishment from the league. He's a, he's a very well-known player. The league have, has to roll with an iron fist on that one, especially when you consider all of Draymond's prior history. But... If it was up to me, that incident should be on a commercial. Certainly so far, it is the signature moment of the NBA season tournament is Draymond Green putting Rudy Gobert in a chokehold. That is going to be pretty tough to be. I'm not going to say that that will be the signature moment at the end of this tournament in a couple weeks, but so far, that, that's it hands down. I think the league should put that on commercials. I think they should advertise it to be like, hey, the juice is real, right? And then just show that picture. They're obviously not going to do that, but... Uh, if it was up to me, I think that'd be worth noting because it was fun to see, right? It was fun to see those guys get into it. Um, obviously, nobody got hurt, so it's not a huge deal. And that wasn't even the only physical altercation on the in-season tournament game slate on Tuesday in a simultaneous game going on or maybe a game that, that started an hour or so later. Within like the first quarter of the game, I want to say Anthony Davis was frustrated and then just like full on just shoved uh, Santi Aldama of the Grizzlies onto the ground. 
Um, not a relevant player. He's kind of a bum. So it's kind of funny to see him get chucked across the court as well. Nobody got hurt, right? So I think it's all in good fun, right? We need something to make these tournament games feel like they have a little bit more juice to them. So again, just to recap the pros so far, the games have been close. Seems to be a little bit more juice when I'm watching this action than some of the other regular season games that are taking place. And let's move on to our third pro here. I love Christopher Moltisanti as the spokesperson for these tournaments. Now, if you're asking who that is, he is the actor on all of the in-season tournament commercials. That is not his actual name. That is his character from The Sopranos. I know he has a real name. He has other semi-important you know, acting gigs to his name. But I'm just going to call him Christopher from The Sopranos because I love it. And, and Christopher is back in the limelight. He's in every commercial break advertising the in-season tournament. They're in Vegas. They're in, like, the, the casino or whatever. You know, it is a little cheesy. I'm not going to lie to you. But I, I just love that guy. So... Picking him as a spokesperson was not on my bingo card before the season, and, and I'm here for it. So that's another pro. That's the third pro here. Moving on to the fourth pro, the NBA Cup itself. You know, for those that don't know, the winning team, every single player on the winning team, and I believe the coaches as well, uh, receive $500,000 as their prize for winning the award. But you can't have a tournament. You can't have a, you know, a sporting competition without having a trophy, right? Like we have the Larry O'Brien trophy for the finals. The trophy for the NBA in-season tournament is the NBA Cup. And so you've probably seen the pictures. I'm not going to describe it to you here. But it is a pretty cool-looking trophy for what it's worth. I think it's a good name. I think it makes sense. It's different from the Larry O'Brien trophy, and it still has some pizzazz to it. So I like the NBA Cup itself. That's going to be the fourth pro on my list. So, again, this is kind of a fun exercise. I know I'm being, you know, a little silly with it here. But I, I do think it was a pro to, to mention the NBA Cup, and that kind of just about does it for the pros, right? In totality, it does add a little bit something extra to these games, like a nice little spice, a little seasoning on your dish. You know, I'm going to be watching the games anyway, as many of you are. So it's just one of those things to add a little bit extra flair to it, an extra record to play it, pay attention to. So overall, I'm with it. But we're not going to let that slide entirely because this tournament is not without cons, and we have to get into the cons right now. First and foremost, these courts, right? The look of these courts is hideous. They look terrible. Now, I went through before this exercise just to make sure I wasn't missing this, right? And, and for, again, for those that don't know, they, they really went crazy with the primary colors of the court. Most of the time, an NBA court is going to be some shade of brown for the most part. These courts are extremely colorful. In a lot of cases, they're not even like the primary colors of the teams, which just, which just adds like an extra element of confusion. Like they're either retro colors or like, you know, secondary or tertiary colors of these teams. So it doesn't really make sense, but they are extremely bright. So I implore you to look up all the different courts so you understand what I'm talking about. A few of them aren't bad. You know, the Raptors one I thought was cool. The Jazz, the Cavs, the Nets, they have decent ones. But, like, literally besides those four, like, they are an eyesore. Like, it looks like, you know, a 12-year-old got into 2K and he's setting up his my player and he's setting up his my court and his my team and whatever. And, and, and the courts look terrible. Like, they shouldn't even be legal to play on. Like, they are disgusting. Now, I will say I like the idea behind the colorful courts, right? Like, I like the idea of it being immediately distinguishable as this is an in-season tournament game. If you're just flipping through the channels like, oh, what? why is the court yellow, right? Like, you know, at the very least, at least you know, oh, this is one of those in-season tournament games. This is this represents something different than a normal regular season game that has a standard colored course. Like, I, I like that concept because you do want to differentiate this product from the regular season, you know, without going too crazy. But they just didn't execute it properly, right? Like, the courts are way too much. If it was up to me, I think, you know, maybe they just have some rendering of the NBA Cup for all the teams, right? They Maybe they work the actual trophy itself into the team's logo and kind of get creative with that. And then, you know, to supplement that, you add, like, 
one stripe of a bright color down the middle of the court, maybe the team's primary color, so we all understand what's going on. I think that would be a great touch so you can still, again, immediately you know, flick through the games, whatever, and understand, oh, it's an in-season tournament night. Like We see that the courts are different, and we can recognize that. So again, good concept, just really, really poor execution with the colors of these courts. My second con about the in-season tournament the courts again, but this time their functionality, right? Not only are these courts a total eyesore to look at for the most part, they have had all sorts of issues with functionality of these courts. I say that because first and foremost, it was reported that there were all sorts of different issues with the distance of the three-point line on these courts. It was actually screwed up in a few cases where they, again, the three-point line was either too far or too close in spots, which is really unbelievable that it's 2023 and we're having these issues, right? The Mavericks actually had to use their normal court on their first in-season tournament game because the three-point line was so jacked up, they had to redo the whole thing. So that's really bad in itself. But beyond that, on the you know the colorful courts that actually did make it out of the drawing board and onto the the real bright lights and whatever, you know they've actually had some real issues with traction as well, according to a lot of different players out there. I know Luca complained that not only was their original court messed up, but when he played on it, he's like, yeah. You know, the traction wasn't the same. It didn't have as good enough grip. People were sliding all over the place. And then the Celtics game last night in their in-season tournament appearance against the Raptors, Jalen Brown actually kind of slipped. He lost his footing. He hurt his groin. It, it remains to be seen how significant the injury is. It doesn't seem like he's going to miss much time, if, if any, fingers crossed anyways. But he spoke up after the game and was like, yeah, these courts are terrible. There was a noticeable difference. The league needs to do something about that. So, yeah, not only are they really ugly, um, they are functionally somehow a, a worse quality, according to the players as well. So that's worth noting. The third con about the NBA in-season tournament, the name itself, right? The NBA in-season tournament. I've already said that 15 times on this episode, and it's absolutely driving me nuts, right? It sounds terrible. It does not. NBA in-season tournament does not roll off the tongue. The acronym IST, again, in-season tournament, uh, I think you guys get it. The acronym IST is terrible. So now when you're actually watching the in-season tournament games, because they have their own record, right? Like these, these, you know, the tournament's happening within itself independently of the regular season that's going on, right? So it'll be like, you know, the Raptors, let's pretend they're eight and seven, but their in-season tournament record is three and one. It'll say IST in parentheses three and one, which is helpful to have on the screen if you're watching the games, but it just looks stupid. Like, I just think that that is just, you know, you couldn't get a little bit more creative with the name. Maybe this is like placeholder for the NBA in-season tournament because it is the first year. Maybe think of it like, you know, when they were, when the commanders were the Washington football team for a year, when they were trying to figure out what was going on. Like, you just want to make it very obvious so everybody understands it. Sure, that makes sense. I can get behind it. I'm going to give you my suggestion of just, you know, changing the name of the entire tournament to the, just the NBA cup, right? Keep it simple. The trophy matches the name. I think the NBA Cup would be cool. Nobody's going to mistake that for the finals. Nobody's going to mistake that for the NBA championship. So that would be my suggestion and just something worth noting for next year. Finally, the last con that I have on this list is just the process that it takes to explain what the in-season tournament is to the casual fan. I uh, had my guy Senator come up and visit me over the weekend, which I'm very glad he, he came into town to see me, which was great. But that being said, he is he's a self-described casual NBA fan, right? And so he made a bunch of jokes about asking all these questions about the tournament. Now, he's not a dumbass. He did, you know, pick up on it pretty quick, I must say, when he wasn't joking around. But, it, you know, saying it out loud as somebody who has understood the NBA in season tournament from the gate, because I, I obviously follow the league closely, like, it, it is kind of a lot to explain. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's an in-season tournament, right? So, like, oh, well, what does it mean? Well, it doesn't really mean anything right now. It's just an NBA cup and some extra money. Like, okay, 
why, why do we as fans now care about this, right? Like that, that within itself is a little confusing. Oh, when are the games? Well, they're regular season games. Like, what do you mean they're regular season games? Like, so how are they any different? It's like, oh, well, they're Tuesdays and Fridays. It's like, oh, well, why didn't they play last Tuesday? It was election day. Like, it, it's just a whole thing, right? Like, I just, I don't like that process of explaining, oh, it's Tuesday, Friday and whatever, whatever. Like, you really have to watch that R Richard Jefferson, like, explanation video, like, two or three times before you really get it. And I think most casual fans out there, like, again, I can't really speak for them, but I, I would imagine that, like, they've probably already punted on, like, the significance of it. I would say really only the top 25% of NBA fans probably were able to grasp it, like, immediately and, and kind of understand it if you've been following it from the beginning. So I just think that the, the whole explanation behind it can get a little old. That is all I really have for you on the in-season tournament. Obviously, more to come, right? I believe the, the finals of this tournament and, and the Vegas portion of this event take place, like, the first week of December. So we're only about three weeks out from that right now. So obviously, I'm excited, you know, to, to watch the playoffs and the finale of this tournament in a couple weeks. Um, crazy to think that we're basically already halfway through it for what it's worth. But that being said, obviously after that, I'll, I'll you know give you my thoughts on this tournament as a whole. But wanted to give you some early observations. I just felt it was kind of weird that all this is going on and I hadn't mentioned it yet. And, and just to put a summary on it, I will run through my pros and cons list again. The pros, um, most of the games have been close. I think there's been slightly higher intensity from NBA players in the in-season tournament games as opposed to all the other games. Christopher Moltisanti is the spokesperson. I absolutely love that. And the NBA Cup, I, I like the trophy. I like that as a concept. I like how it looks. So those are my four pros for the most part. And then my cons are the appearance of the court, the functionality of the courts, the name of the in-season tournament, and explaining it to casual fans. All that stuff pretty much sucks. So wanted to throw that out there. And let me know. Let me know what you guys think. I, I love getting feedback on what the NBA is doing here. I do kind of respect them overall for making a change. I'm, I'm trying to stay positive about it. I think it's been so far so good for the most part. So you guys can let me know if you disagree or if I missed anything so far about the in-season tournament. Let's move on to our final segment of this episode. And that is going to be our NBA panic meter. So what is a panic meter? It is pretty self-explanatory, right? It is going to be a scale of one to 10, obviously 10 being code red, whatever, like the, the highest level of panic humanly possible. And, you know, zero would be, you know, no panic. Things are, are smooth sailing, right? And so I was looking at the standings and it, it is kind of funny when I originally thought about doing this exercise, my inspiration behind this segment was the Milwaukee Bucks and the Sacramento Kings. Now, I meant to get this episode out like several days ago, like we talked about. Then I, you know, looking at the standings at that time, the Bucks were struggling. Giannis and Dame were, you know, playing together all that well. Their defense was really, really bad. And the Kings had just lost De'Aaron Fox, which again, the Kings had been healthy all of last season. Just in the past couple days, the Bucks have won three in a row and their defense looks a lot better now that Brooke Lopez is kind of gone back to his roots of being a traditional rim protector. They're keeping him closer to the basket. He's been on fire blocking shots. And the Bucks' defense looks a lot better. Still not as good as it was last year, but they look a lot better. And the Kings have actually won five in a row, and they just got De'Aaron Fox back as well. So both of those teams are completely fine, not even worth talking about, but it is funny. They were the original, you know, originally what gave me the idea to go through this exercise. But I still prepared three different teams who I think have had pretty concerning starts to the year, and we're going to talk about them right now. First, we're going to start in the Eastern Conference, and we are going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks. I would give them a 3 out of 10 on the panic meter, and here's why, right? So there's definitely some concern here. Let's kind of set the scene a little bit, right? They're currently 6-6. Six and six. They're sitting at 500. They're at the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference, and they would be in that last spot in the play-in tournament, I, I guess. We need to, too many tournaments going on in the NBA right now, but regardless. And they've actually lost their last two games in a row. So... 
this is a team that I was pretty high on to start the year. I think I had them slotted at like my four seed in, in the Eastern Conference, something like that. They're just a team that I feel like should be built for the regular season. They Again, I, I've said it many times, but they have wonderful depth. Um, Jalen Johnson has been a really big bright spot for the team. He seems like he's made a leap this year. Um, obviously showed some flashes last year, but he's you know a much more consistent part of the rotation, getting starting minutes. Looked really good. They drafted Kobe Bufkin, who out of Michigan, who um, I didn't watch. You know, I don't watch a lot of college basketball, so I didn't you know didn't have a, a super strong opinion on Mr. Bufkin here. Uh, but I know a lot of people that are very smart were very high on Kobe Bufkin, right? And he just is literally out of the rotation for the Hawks altogether. And and probably the headliner of the Hawks struggles, it all comes back to Trey Young, right? He's the best player on the team, and he's been shooting the ball terribly, right? He is, you know, shooting slightly better in, in the past five or so games than he did to start the year. But even then, on the season, he's shooting 36% from the field and only 28% from three. So that's not great. Between this depth, the talent on this team, having a well-regarded head coach, I felt like this would be the year that they put it together. And it just, it hasn't happened yet. Now, again, I only have them as a three on the panic meter because this is a long season. And if you're making a pro Atlanta Hawks argument, you would say like, hey, look at those percentages from Trey. Like we know he doesn't, he's not the most efficient player in the league by any means. But historically, we have a large enough sample size that we know he's a better shooter and scorer than that. Like he is going to start to make those jump shots at a higher level. And with that, the wins will come. So that is definitely possible. I think that that is the more likely scenario. I don't think Atlanta is doomed by any means. The East is also just not nearly as deep as the West is, in my opinion. And so I could definitely see a couple teams of the East kind of falling down so Atlanta can can move up the standings, if you will. Whereas in the if they were in the West, I would probably have them at like a five on the panic scale. But a lot of time left. Moving on to probably the most talked about team in the entire league. I can't believe... I had to go 25 minutes before talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, but here we are. They got James Harden. We talked about that trade on our last episode. And uh, in their first game, f- first five games with James Harden, they went 0-5. They are really struggling. Now, they did break their losing streak, and they got a win last night over the Rockets. Uh, it was an in-season tournament game like we talked about, right? If They played the Rockets at home. You know, I really in my head as I was watching it, I'm like, you know what? That's actually a, a pretty good win for the Clippers, right? Because Houston's been really good, especially defensively. Like, they've they've probably been the biggest surprise story of this entire season so far. And uh, bringing in Ime Udoka definitely looks like it's paid off so far. But I still can't go as far as to say beating the Rockets at home is a good win. Like, I, I can't do that quite yet. We're going to need a little bit larger sample size of, of high play from the Rockets before I go that far. But that being said, at least they broke their streak, right? I would say that the Clippers sitting at four and seven currently, right? They are the 11th seed in the Western Conference. And again, losing their first five games with James Harden. Where do I put them on the panic meter? I give them a six, which is definitely high, right? Like there is there is definitely reason for concern. There is there is panic amongst, you know, the players in the team. Probably not, but certainly amongst fans of the team, right? You should be at least a little bit panicked about the Clippers. But I'm not like totally throwing away my post-trade take. And again, my post-trade take is like, look, I'm not saying the trade was good. Like, I am not saying the trade was good. I'm not saying the Clippers do not already regret this move and will not regret this move in a couple years, right, to to, to trade for James Harden. I think that I, I just want to get that out there first and foremost. But that being said, I still kind of believe that the Clippers are a more talented team with James Harden on this roster. And I think that their ceiling is still a little bit higher with Harden than without him. And again, you guys can point and laugh because it's looked really bad. Now, I haven't watched all of their games in that, in that losing streak, you know, super closely. So you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. And I know that they have a lot of, you know, low lights that like to float around the Internet of, you know, Russ and Harden playing like idiots. And especially when you have them on the court together. 
Um, it can be really frustrating. But that being said, think back to last year, right? They, they made a controversial move to, to acquire Russell Westbrook. I, I believe they just signed him, right, because he got cut from the Jazz. But either way, they went out and got him, and it looked horrible to start. And I was doing victory laps. I was like, I hated the decision to go and get Russ. I think this is such a bad move for the team. They started 0-5. We all kind of wrote them off. And then what happened? Now, they didn't have the most successful season ever after, but I, I would argue that they looked like a good team, right? They had a strong close to the regular season. They looked good their first couple playoff games. Obviously, all that went to, went to crap when Kawhi Leonard got hurt, right? They weren't going to beat Phoenix without Kawhi Leonard. But that being said, they looked like they had real promise. And I think that that is where the Clippers can get back to this season. Again, still a lot of talent on this team, right? It, the, the big concern is you're sitting at four and seven and you've been healthy, right? Like that is, that is the problem, right? Like all the, the normal concerns that, that haunt you as a Clippers fan have not even kicked in yet. And the team is still struggling to get wins. So it's, it's not good. That's why they're a six on the panic meter. But I'm just saying they do have a lot of time to turn this around. I have a lot of faith in Ty Lue. If there was a different head coach there, I would say good luck, right? Like he's he's made it, you know, through difficult locker rooms before he's coached plenty of superstars in the past. And I just individually from the stars in that team, like I think Harden looks fine. Like again, maybe I'm a little biased because I watched that game closely last night, which was, you know, again, where they beat the Rockets. But Harden looked like Harden, right? He had an incredible four-point play to literally ice the game. You know, defensively, he's still trash and he still doesn't move off the ball and all that stuff that we complain at Harden about over the years, right? Like that all still applies. But he's still a great playmaker. He's still a really great scorer. The jumper looks great. He doesn't look out of shape. He doesn't look like he's limping around. So I think that they will be fine. And again, Paul George has been great to start the year. Kawhi's been solid. Russ is Russ, whatever. I just think that they do have a lot of time to turn this around. Now, their biggest fear is just like, you don't want to be playing catch up in this Western conference. Like if you look at the standings and you look at the teams above the Clippers, like there really aren't any obvious candidates to fall back down, right? Like the Rockets have been legit so far. Like they probably still have to be on that, that short list of teams that are likely to kind of fall apart because again, they just don't have a large sample size of being good you know, basically since Harden left. So that being said, I feel like the, the Rockets could fall down. You know, New Orleans, with all their injury question marks there, they're a candidate to fall down. I do think that the West is more legit than not, so you don't want to be playing catch-up. But I don't think that the Clippers are dead in the water. They're, they're a six on the panda scale. They, they, they deserve to be worried. But that being said, I think they have plenty of time to, to right the ship. And I would still expect them to be in that play-in tournament. I, I don't think that they'll be eliminated altogether at the end of the regular season. Moving on to the final team in our panic meter exercise here. You guessed it, the Memphis Grizzlies. Remember how I said last episode or whatever, like if there's a Grizzlies funeral, I want to be the first person in attendance. Well, we might as well, you know, play the music. The, the funeral is now, right? Like I, I think it's already over for the Grizzlies. To set the scene a little bit, they are two and nine. Yikes. Uh, currently dead last in the West. And they just got the news within the past couple of days that Marcus Smart, I believe he sprained his ankle. I think that was the injury. Um, obviously super unfortunate. He's going to be out for three weeks. You hate to see that. We love Marcus Smart here on this podcast, but yeah, it's really, really not looking good for the Grizzlies. I would give them a nine out of 10 on the panic meter. If you're asking me, you know, Hey Nick, you just said the season's over. Why, why isn't that a 10 on the panic meter? I am reserving tens for like crippling, you know, superstar trade requests that like are really just unforgivable or, in another Instagram live gun incident from Ja, I guess that would warrant another 10 too, right? At least Ja stayed out of the headlines during his suspension. 
Uh, but it is really, really bad. So again, I am the farthest thing from a Grizzlies fan. So I don't know what the expectations were for this season. This season, I, I do think is a wash. Like I don't think it is possible for them to climb up out of this hole in the Western Conference, especially with another 13 games left in Jaw suspension. Like, obviously, I think with Jaw, they are a better team. They will get better. But like, are they, they would have to be like a, a 60 win team, you know, when Jaw is healthy and back on this roster for them to like kind of make up this ground. And they are not even close to a 60 win team. I think, you know, if Jaw was healthy to start the year and not suspended and all that stuff, and they had a full cast of characters, I think that they would be right around a 40, 45 win team would be like best case scenario for the Grizzlies. Again, that's just my opinion. And it's really easy to say now with how bad they've been. And especially with this Marcus Smart injury, there's no reason for, for things to turn around any earlier than when Jaw returns. And I just, I, you know, Jaw's solid player. He's, he's a superstar. I'll admit that. But, like, I don't think he's the type of guy to put the cape on and turn this thing around, uh, especially with some of his, his off-the-court issues that he's been dealing with. So, that being said, I think it's over for the Grizzlies. They certainly win this panic meter ex exercise sitting at a 9 out of 10. So, yeah, guys, I just kind of flew through that episode. That just about does it for me. Again, I know I said this last episode, but I am really hoping to get a guest on for next week's episode. I want to get some back and forth, do some, do a deep dive on one of the more exciting teams in the league. I have a few people in mind that I will be reaching out to right after I wrap up this podcast. But before I let you go, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything that includes Instagram, that includes Twitter, that includes YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe. That way you are notified when I drop a new episode. Be sure to like the show, share the show, tell a friend, and I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.